Hello and welcome to It Starts With Beer. I'm your host, Will Sis, and for episode 30, I talked to Barry LeBenz of Kent Falls Brewing in Kent, Connecticut, about farm breweries, farmhouse ales, and the role that locally sourced ingredients play in beer. This episode is brought to you by Back East Brewing in Bloomfield, Connecticut. Their recent taproom expansion with indoor and outdoor seating makes Back East the perfect place to enjoy excellent beers like Ice Cream Man IPA, Ricoutra IPA, their award-winning porter, or any of the other delicious beers in their ever-changing lineup. Go to BackEastBrewing.com for more information. Barry LeBenz co-founded Kent Falls Brewing in 2015 as the first modern farm brewery in the state. I remember covering the years of hurdles it needed to go through uh, from the suspicious neighbors wondering what would happen on those 50 acres to all the regulations and approvals it needed to get. And Barry and his team started out with farmhouse ales as their focus and Barry and I talk about that and what it means. Of course, they make many other styles as well now. We talk about his dedication to local ingredients, from the hops that come from their own farm and from nearby Smokedown Farm, which is the subject of episode 29, to grain that comes from Thrall Family Malt in Windsor, Connecticut, Valley Malt in Massachusetts, and the role of the Northeast Grain Shed, a nonprofit partnership that links farms, mills, and maltsters in the northeastern U.S. with businesses that support them, including breweries. So open a bottle or a can of Kent Falls if you have it and enjoy our talk. And stay tuned after the interview for the after party. Let's listen in. You know, I understand why someone would want to start a brewery, but why a farm brewery? Uh, what got us to start uh, the brewery on a farm uh, was a series of relationships where uh, I had been trying to start the brewery for quite some time uh, and in different places and different iterations. Uh, and a friend of mine was trying to start a farm. Uh, he knew that the farm probably needed something a little bit more than just an agricultural operation, operation to justify purchasing land and so on and so on. So we kind of, uh, I'd been talking about the brewery for quite some time with him and started to put the two ideas together. Um, personally, I was always, I have been and continue to be really interested in our food system as well. So when we started uh, our brewery, we were actually, we moved onto the farm in 2012 and, you know, it was a retired dairy farm. We started fixing it up, making the land kind of suit what we were aiming to do. Uh, we weren't going to raise cattle. We were going to raise chickens and have a small vegetable garden and grow hops for the brewery. Uh, so between 2012 and 2014, we were really building the brewery and starting our farm. Uh, so we raised pasture-raised chickens uh, out on grass where they get supplemental non-GMO organic feed 
but most of their nutrition is coming from the land that we have, uh, bugs, dirt, minerals, scraps of other food. Uh, we have egg layers that, uh, you know, same thing. They live out on the pasture, uh, mostly totally natural, eating what they're meant to eat in your environment with only a small supplemental feed for nutritional needs. Uh, you know, and we would sell those chickens and eggs and pork raised in the same manner uh, at our farmer's market. So when the brewery opened, we didn't have a tasting room. You know, it was kind of this, we try and overlap not only the operations where, you know, uh, inputs from the brewery can are from a farm, right? Everything we brew with, whether it's our farm or another farm, is grown someplace. Right. Uh, hops, barley, fruit, you know, um, except for yeast, I guess you'd say. Uh, and the outputs and grain can be composted or fed to animals as feed. How far afield are you getting the material that, that you need? Are you really trying to keep it within uh, Connecticut or the tri-state area? Um, I know that you want to keep your footprint small. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm not totally particular on mileage. You know, with me, it's a lot more relationship, how it's being grown, and the impact I think I can see, certainly flavor, and the impact that I can see it having potentially in our food system. Um, you know, when we started, we brewed, uh, it was brewing farmhouse ales, uh, field beer, uh, you know, kind of classic saison that had mixed fermentation. Uh, and then as well, we had red IPAs, and then we started six months or so in brewing you know, uh, American IPA, right? And there's a blog post I wrote a long time ago that I read recently uh, in thinking about this sort of question where we, it seemed right and appropriate and to use local malt in our field beer in the Saison. And when it came time to brew an IPA, we didn't have hop contracts. We couldn't get hops grown locally. Smokedown Farm was just starting they just were planting their fields when... Smokedown Farm being a hop farm uh, not too far from you guys in northwestern Connecticut. Yeah. Yeah. So Connecticut's biggest hop farm was just getting planted, right? Uh, there was another hop farm in Morris that was also just starting to be planted. So there wasn't really an abundance six years ago of local hops that we could make where it also would fit in some ways the profile of what I think people were or are looking for in their go-to IPA. Um, you know, so we had limited access to these ingredients, so it was easy and it felt natural to be able to say, let's use these in our farmhouse beers, right? It's, it's the ethos is there, it's brewing with what's around you, it's local malt, we're supporting this and that. And as we would brew with it and, you know, it wasn't even a consistent apply. I couldn't just uh, supply. I couldn't just say, okay, I'll take 2,000 pounds and have it arrive. There were limited farms growing barley and wheat to be malted. Uh, and then there were a handful of, there's a bunch of other breweries also really passionate about using local grain. So it was being split up amongst all of us. So we started brewing IPAs and there was a point where we said, we got to make, we, we know we have to make a, an IPA with local malt. So we've really worked with our maltsters, uh, Valley Malt and Hadley Mass, uh, the country's first craft malt house uh, and Thrall Family Malt in Windsor, Connecticut's first maltster uh, on figuring out, 
the malt, exact malts that we want, you know, the varieties of barley that we want. You know, uh, Andrea from Valley Malt came down uh, one time to the brewery, I think it was in 2016, and brought six different varieties of barley that she had malted exactly the same. And mm. we did blind taste tests with mini mashes where you're basically making uh, a little bit of wort extraction and then tasting it and looking at the color and the aroma. And it, unanimously, we all settled on this one variety endeavor, you know, and from there in 2016, we were like, all right, how do we, how do we get this malt instead of, let's say, wint malt, which was a common variety that we had been getting that has a little bit more like earthy character to it. And when I asked at one point why wint malt was so available or seemingly the malt variety that was available, it was because that's what the seed companies were selling. Right. Oh, so okay. we we signed a contract to buy Endeavor Barley uh, that Andrea would malt. And so she was able to sign a contract with uh, a farm to grow it because they then have a, a guarantee that, OK, if I plant 200 acres of this barley, I know somebody's going to buy it. And if Andrea buys it she knows and malts it, she knows she's got a brewer to use it. Through this time, we were starting to brew IPAs with local malt. So we designed a new IPA, it was called Shoots, where it was the first 100% locally local malt IPA. The hops were not from nearby farms, but they were varieties that we were growing at the time in our yard. So maybe one day we could use our hops in it. And right. we rotated the, the grain bill where it was, it was all Pilsner malt. Then it was Pilsner in two rows. Then it was spelt in oats. Then it was spelt in wheat. Then it was wheat and oats. And, you know, just kind of really seeing what these new malts, I wouldn't say new, but, uh, you know, the combination of local malts doing an IPA for us without having to, like, overhaul everything all at once. It's hard to say I only want it within this range because if you don't have somebody within that range to do it, like, then you're shooting yourself in your foot because of an arbitrary distance. Uh, right. The There's... We're, we're all now collectively, there's in this past year, uh, it kind of started, I guess, in ja late January, uh, a little bit before COVID hit and has changed some of our plans. But uh, there's an organization called Northeast Grain Shed that was formed. And it kind of is an amplified, larger version and culmination of a lot of people, like what I'm talking about, trying to work with local malts officers trying to get the infrastructure and growers, you know, as part of a supply chain, we're all reliant upon each other. Um, sure. So what the Northeast Grain Shed is, it's a nonprofit organization that, uh, you know, was started to advocate for a stronger uh, local grain economy. So help farmers grow it, uh, grow better malt, grow more malt, access to seeds and equipment and education uh, to promote the opening of more mobsters, more millers, uh, and using local malts. And then from there, brewers, bakers, distillers, restaurants, and even consumers, because that's ultimately the most important part uh, of the cycle, right? If a consumer isn't aware or interested, it's going to be hard to continue doing that. When, well, on your website, you list, I, th I thought I read like 34 you know, different farmhouse ales, uh, what's your take on a, what a farmhouse ale is? You had mentioned that you don't have to necessarily be on a farm to make one. Um, but And how has that changed over time? So, you know, when, 
when I started, right? It's like I read, I got, I opened a bottle of sealed beer. It was the first beer we ever made. It's kind of our house saison, farmhouse ale. Uh, and the side of it is this whole inspirational story about this is what we envision farm workers drinking in the field, right? Right. And there's a lot of reasons that that kind of, uh, that profile and is what it is. I think historically, you know, breweries on farms weren't making lagers where it was, you know, uh, very clean and process driven in the sense of like, okay, there's no bacteria. It's just the yeast that we have. It's fermenting in cellars. This was beer that was maybe spontaneously fermented or blended from oak barrels. And there's a mix of young and older beer that has more acidity in it. So lightly tart, bitter, um, bright and effervescent, low alcohol, right? So those are like the inspirational flavor components that you find behind a lot of farmhouse sales. Um, and the story, so their story and process was matching. So that was what we made. Uh, and it was with local malt, so brewing with what's available around you. And really, like it felt in some ways when you hear farmhouse sales of brewing with what's around you, where like early on finding local malt was not easy. So it was like, yeah, this is, this is what it's going to be. This is what local malt tastes like. Um, you know, and this batch is rye and, this batch is oats and this batch is wheat and this batch is spelt because that was what we had. It was, you know, we, we, we made variety out of that, um, sure. you know, and we took a seasonal approach to it. I think, you know, it's a really, it's a really hard thing to say what a farmhouse style is because it's been a style that is pretty open to interpretation, right? One farm's beer is not going to be another farm's beer because of what they might grow and how they might make it and what the community might enjoy from it, right? Whether it's their workers or whoever drank the beer around them. So there's, there's, um, you know, and then there's like styles, right? If I want to make a Pilsner, a Czech style Pilsner, I can't make a Czech Pilsner. I'm not in Czech Republic. I don't, I'm not using Czech ingredients, but I can kind of take that profile and try and coax through similar processes in our own ingredients uh, and place that essence out of it, I guess you could call it, so it's familiar to somebody. So sure. that's where farmhouse sales get really tricky. There's a lot of people who name their farmhouse sales different things because they recognize I'm not in a farmhouse. I'm not on a farm, so I don't want to call it a farmhouse sale. So I don't think you have to be on a farm to do it, but I think there needs to be like the um, care or uh, like operational elements of farming involved. So like to me, local ingredients in it are like absolutely um, paramount. If you order from an international supplier, your grains and then just culture a little yeast, that's your yeast. But I don't know that it's really like, speaking to farmhouse sale ideals or whatnot. When it's, I think it, about it's, a farm... It's a whole, yeah. Well, I was going to say, when I think about a farmhouse ale, you know, my picture is that there's a lot of uh, exposed uh, beer during the brewing process or, you know, wort, and you've got, you've got you know, yeast floating in from uh, everywhere, and, you know, the yeast that's floating in from 
you know, Hartford, Connecticut is going to be different than the yeast floating in from Kent, Connecticut. Do you feel that that, that you know, do you have beers that really have the essence uh, of the yeast? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, I think what you're talking about is spontaneous fermentation where you're not adding your own yeast and it's literally being inoculated with wild yeast that's in the air outside. So yes. come winter time, we use the farm's old milk chiller as a cool ship where you put hot boiling or near boiling wort right out of the kettle and you let it cool outside overnight and it's inoculating with, you know, wild microbes and flora from the air. So we do those beers. Uh, we've released some that are 100% spontaneously fermented. So you really do get a, um, you know, unique characteristic um, similar to the profile that you might see in uh, lambic goose. Like that is the spontaneous profile. To Funky. say it's exactly the same, it's not the same yeast, it's not the same process, it's not the same place, you know, it's not going to be uh, that for sure, and certainly can't call it that, but there's a similar profile to spontaneous fermentation. And then, you know, it's also blended, so you're balancing more acidic with less acidic and more with some having a more hot character, um, you know, so yes, we do those beers, but you can also make great farmhouse elves, some of the beer excuse me, the beers that like really inspired like Cezanne DuPont and I mean were more readily available was like Oh My God, Hennepin was a beer I loved to drink. It's just bright. There's a nice hop character. There's certain this like, you know, that certain Cezanne effervescence and um, balance of bitterness and, and fermentation profile uh, that you get is that's not a wild it's not made now as a wild fermented beer. It's all in stainless. It doesn't even have to go to oak barrels but it's Saison, right? So farmhouse ale in American terms, I think, has been broadened to include more mixed culture, a little bit more acid-driven, uh, generally involving some oak and fruit and things like that, which we also do a lot of. But, you know, field beer uh, are kind of our farmhouse ale, where, like, if we could say we make one farmhouse ale that is, you know, what we, like, I think, think of the style that would probably be the one and it's and it's all stainless and then a lot of the others spend more time in oak and develop additional uh you know complexity and nuance that are used for blends uh which are i think the more american farmhouse ale uh style um i'm gonna put you through what i call the lightning round Uh, (laughs) okay this is where i'm going to ask you a bunch of uh very easy questions and you're going to do your best to answer them, uh, start answering within three seconds, and then we'll get back to uh, talking about the farm. Um, Are you ready? Sure. What was the first beer you ever drank? Nickelodeon. What was the last album you listened to all the way through? Probably Gigaton, Pearl Jam's new album. What country would you visit right now if you could? Czech Republic. What's your favorite non-beer drink? Uh, Fruit brandy. And what should be the goal of humanity? Be better. Excellent. Thank you. The, um, one of the things that I think of, you know, I think of like this rapid, uh, um, explosion of breweries opening up in Connecticut, even now during this COVID period, I think 
something like six or seven breweries have opened up. Um, it makes me think that that's a very you know positive thing. If somebody gets some farmland and they get in their head that they should open up a farm brewery um, and they come to you and they say, Barry, I, you know, what, 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 can you give me some advice? What would you tell someone who had some acreage, had some farmland and wanted to do what you do? <laughs> I've been, I've been asked this question a lot. I mean, it's, it's tough. Like opening a brewery any place is no small task. Uh, opening a brewery in a remote area where uh, foot traffic is minimal where infrastructure generally costs more and it's harder to get things in and out of, um, you know, it, it, but there's also an incredible benefit, right? You know, we have this like beautiful piece of property and neighborhood that we're in and whether it's a walk, run, or drive around the winding tree line streets of our, of Kent, you know, and, and, relaxing, taking inspiration and think, you know, clear spaces to think or, um, you know, being literally surrounded by nature and our environment and connecting to it in that way. And, you know, communities that are based in agricultural history, um, you know, and then talking about space where we have, you need to put something outside, put it outside for a while, not going to bother anybody where you can't do that in the city, you know, but all of the kind of, normal um ben- benefits are somewhat uh are not necessarily there right foot traffic happy hours of people coming in and you know you really it can take a lot more work to create a community you know i mean i think it's the same as i'd say to anybody looking to start uh, a business anywhere it's like you really got to think about it make sure you know what your costs and what you want i think more than anything what you want out of it you know and what whether you're expectations match what the reality uh, might be. My thanks to Barry. You can go to kentfallsbrewing.com for more about him and his amazing brewery. It's time for the after party. Relax. Open another beer. What am I drinking? Thanks for asking. I've got a Kent Falls Equinox, a dry hop saison poured from a pitch black can with the silver Equinox in all caps. It is super light in color, nearly clear. Uh, There's some funk in the nose and on the tongue, quite a bit of tartness, very crisp. 4.8% ABV. I'd say this would be a wonderful summer beer, but certainly is great all year round. You know, uh, in Connecticut, uh, Kent Falls is not the only farm brewery. Uh, There's also Norbrook Farm Brewery, uh, the brewery at Maple View Farm, Stewards of the Land Brewery, and Fox Farm. There might be more. I frankly don't know, but those are the ones that that I could find. I don't know. I thought my interview with Barry went pretty well. I had to do some cutting um, as the line kind of started to go bad. I didn't really notice it during the interview, but when I re-listened, I thought, oh, this is not the quality that my listeners 
are looking for. So um, one of the things we talked about was his love of uh, reading. And um, in the show notes, I list three books that he recommends uh, with links. So we got Third Plate, Taste of Place, and Hungry City. And these are all related to eating better, uh, being more conscious about where food comes from. Good news, I'm back to driving. Uh, I had uh, shoulder surgery uh, in late June and I've been recovering ever since. And it's been a long road, I guess relatively not that long. I mean, just a couple of months, but feels long. But being able to drive uh, was the best. Just, of course I went to uh, a liquor store, but it was uh, good to be able to go and come back. And ever since I've been able to drive myself to physical therapy, that's about the only places I'm going these days. My little girl's growing up, six months old. Took her to her first brewery tonight. That was Brewery Legitimus in New Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, took us a little while to get seated. No problem. It was nice. Everybody was out and about, but we wanted to sit outside. And we uh, took advantage of the Cousins Main Lobster Truck. And if you have never had that, I definitely would say enjoy it. We got both the Connecticut and the Maine lobster roll. Frankly, couldn't tell the difference. Um, lobster tots were amazing. And I washed it down with a uh, paleontologist, a pale ale at Brewery Legitimus, which was wonderful. Probably bordered on uh, uh, India Pale Ale, but not gonna, you know, not gonna be too picky. Uh, I have a bunch of interviews lined up, not to brag, but I got Tom Asatelli, the author of Pilsner, which was awesome, awesome. So I'm so psyched to talk to him. And the craft crew of Connecticut. These are a bunch of uh, guys. I think they're all guys. I don't know. I'm going to find out. Um, their plan is to widen the demographic, in their words, to include more of a black presence in the local craft beer scene um, on both sides of the bar. So very sorry to talk to them as well. I'm going to try to keep this show weekly, even though my teaching job starts up in earnest this September. I would love if you stayed in touch. So email me your thoughts. Uh, if you got any ideas for uh, story ideas, for um, episode ideas, for guests, if you want to be a guest, uh, email me at beer.snob at yahoo.com. Right. Well, until next time, sip well. Mm-hmm.